Welcome everyone to Fresh Principles Podcast. Today is the episode where we're going to be discussing at length the carbon tax. Now, what is the carbon tax? It is uh, kind of what it sounds like. It's a tax on carbon, but more specifically, it's essentially the carbon emissions that uh, are produced by companies, whether it's the gas industry, whether it's the steel industry, whatever it is. If you are producing carbon emissions, then there should be a tax that's paid on it, or at least that's the theory. Now, why should people pay a tax on their carbon? So the rationale is that the carbon emissions have an externality, right? There's health impacts. So the more carbon emissions there are, this leads to global warming this leads to climate change this leads to pollution um, this leads to decreased quality of life theoretically for your surrounding neighbors for the people around you that's what an externality is so up to now or generally industry hasn't been paying for this externality of carbon so hence the idea has come about that you know there are costs associated with the carbon production and we need to essentially price in this externality of carbon and that way we have a true cost for the things that we're producing right because when we price a certain products we want we have to factor in all of the costs associated with that product so this is a cost arguably that isn't currently being factored in so with that being priced in we have a new price for different products whether it's gas whether it's our plastics whatever it's our steel whatever it is that relies on carbon but then the question is who pays that add-on price and and what do we do with that money so this is where things get kind of into the nitty gritty details and we can kind of get into that as we progress into the podcast but again that's roughly the idea of what a carbon tax is and the um, the rationale for why we need to have a carbon tax implemented towards our industry um any thoughts on that uh, elliot no i mean that's a good summary of, of of the carbon tax overall i did want to jump into uh maybe talking about uh, william nordhaus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so william nordhaus is an uh, american eco- uh, economist and uh, he's a sterling professor of economics at yale university and he's best known uh for his work in economic modeling and climate change and he actually won uh, a Nobel Memorial Prize uh, in economic science in 2018 and he's really taken a close look at how a carbon tax could be used to reduce the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and uh, finding a price that if you put if you made carbon um, cost this much, it would change the market such that um, you would have a shift in in how much people would want to emit. So he's looking at how markets work, what the price needs to be for it to be effective. 
and uh, he's done a lot of work in this area. Uh, and yeah, you definitely can't have a conversation of the carbon tax without mentioning William Nordhaus. He's kind of the OG, the grandfather of modeling when it comes to tying in carbon emissions, tying that into the economy and how we can use carbon tax in order to uh, reduce uh, carbon emissions. Uh, yeah, continue, Elliot, what were you saying? Yeah, so he is a big proponent of this idea of uh, an internationally harmonized carbon tax to effectively reduce CO2 concentrations in our atmosphere globally. He points out a, a, a tax, a carbon tax, must be uh, implemented globally in his in his research. And there's got to be a pretty consistent um, price on carbon is what he across uh, you know across the globe for for it to work effectively. And and he goes and he has his reasons that he prefers a tax over other systems like universal cap and trade um which he feels it has the higher potential it could become corrupted by and used incorrectly basically um he's not a fan of subsidies and carbon offsets he, he doesn't like them either he says they're difficult to calculate and verify um he also you know he he's uh he he likes taxes because what does he say they, they are a mature system people understand them people, governments have been taxing people for ages everybody gets a tax nobody likes a tax you know nobody you know and he understands that and so he actually also says we should do well he presents two options he thinks there's a revenue neutral option and his idea goes something like this we should tax bads not good so uh if you were to implement a carbon tax one way of doing it would be to lower sale or income tax proportionally to the carbon tax therefore the net revenues to the government remain the same but you're introducing a market force that uh, is trying to correct for that price of carbon and its uh, its effects um, the other mm -hmm. is uh, more of a you know financial conservative type thinking where it's like do we want to balance the budget and so this would be adding carbon tax on above um onto your other uh, taxes but the funds would come in and go against reducing deficits uh he's not a fan of idea of like the carbon tax going across borders like he believes if you raise a tax um income from a tax in a country that that money stays in the country he's mm -hmm. a big proponent of that and uh, I think that, in a nutshell, is is his perspective, uh, which mm -hmm. is key to understand because his name does get thrown around a lot, um, and sometimes used incorrectly, I would say, uh, when it comes to people talking about uh, what a, an effective carbon tax looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because we need to understand what his position is since he is the one that kind of is 
the grandfather realistically he's the one that started doing this work he's the pioneer and not just the grandfather he's a pioneer yeah. <laughs> better word <laughs> better word um but and you're totally right there's a lot of people a lot of politicians that will use his name right out of kind of just the brownie points of throwing out a nobel laureate because as you mentioned he did win a nobel prize for the work that he's done which means that he's been recognized in the scientific community as somebody that that has merited uh, acclaim from his peers. That's not a small thing. That's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. So as a result, people want to use his name for that name recognition. Oh, William Nordhaus says carbon tax is good. But that's where they essentially stop their thinking and they don't look into the specifics of what his position is for the carbon tax. And I think hopefully we're going to try to present that to you guys and uh, hopefully you can get some value from this podcast just in that alone. That would be great because, again, I think his name is dishonestly being used and I think that we need to get a good idea of how specifically he advocates for incorporating carbon tax versus maybe how it's being done in other places and um I, th I think what you touched on is the fact that it's revenue neutral that's a really important factor about this and something that he talks about is yes let's tax the let's, let's tax the bads so we're getting more money from taxing carbon okay so we also tax people for income well, we're just doubling the burden on people because at the end of the day, we all know that a carbon tax on companies is going to be passed down to the consumer. Okay, so that's one thing that we just have to get straight. And one thing that really illustrated this to me was recently when I was listening to the Elon Musk podcast that he was having with Joe Rogan, which we'll go into more detail later with a more uh, in-depth analysis of some clips. But he I think it was just so telling. It was so telling because he just casually, just off the cuff said, yeah, just carbon tax, we'll pass it to the consumer. We'll just pass it to the consumer. He just said it nonchalantly, didn't even bat an eye when he said it. And I found that just, such, I don't know, just so telling and just so gross. Like uh, this dude, uh, which I won't get into more detail uh, right now, but again, you have Elon Musk right there. He just said it right there. Just pass to the consumer. We all know what's going to happen. It's going to come down to me and you and the average individual. So what does that mean? That means that we have our tax on our income and then this extra tax on carbon for the everyday individual who is now perhaps struggling to make ends meet via coronavirus. That's a whole new thing that's happening now. So we have more taxes and that's why revenue neutrality is actually really important here. But again, we have to consider how is Mr. William Nordhaus advocating for carbon tax and how is it being used? And that's one perfect example of how it's not necessarily being done you might say that oh it's being 
giving back to households. Well, okay, is that neutral? Uh, I'm not so sure if that is because that's not really the format that this money should be redistributed because, again, uh, we want to keep the money in the economy. We want to perhaps balance budgets. We want to decrease deficits. What's happening in countries like Canada where they have incorporated carbon tax? I don't see them uh, decreasing deficits whatsoever. I see them, matter of fact, increasing deficits um, without, with no regard. But that's a whole other subject you for know a whole other day. <laughs> yeah. No, it totally is. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to also point out because when we get into this area of revenue neutral, there becomes a problem. If pricing carbon with uh, becomes very successful, then realistically incomes will start to drop because people will be using uh, uh, emitting less carbon therefore there will be less income and William Nordhaus is aware of this and he points out that there may come a point if the carbon tax is widely successful successful in a in a revenue neutral tax system that government may have to start to increase other taxes to maintain revenues but that is that's down the line that mm-hmm. that is that is way after, down the line way down the line so <laughs> way down the line. it is true though it mm-hmm. will there is a, con, a bit of concern there like if it if for it to make a measurable difference then the outcome must be eventually governments won't get enough income from it so that mm-hmm. is uh, something to consider the other thing perspective that william nordhaus had was you know his because he wants to make this global but uh there's a lot of places that this is not of concern and perhaps um, something they, they just politically they can't get ha- make happen but he he really believes in being a role model so he says this he says why why would other countries like china or india do anything like a carbon tax if the u.s isn't doing anything the u.s doesn't have to do it alone but should be the first uh should be in the first wave of adopters um mm-hmm. yeah you know that's that's more of a perspective of of william norhouse um for whatever that is worth but i just thought that was worth uh mm-hmm. you know personal philosophy yeah and i i kind of i kind of agree because at the end of the day in the west we're kind of the ones that are exporting the culture right when you think about who's the predominant culture it's kind of the west that's exporting their culture then we think of globalization it's like people in the east dressing like people in the west not people in the west dressing like people in the east right (laughs) so uh, just think about it like just practically in terms of like what's happening Mm -hmm. so if you know people on the west or in Western countries, Canada, US, Europe, whatever, if they're the ones that are exporting the culture, then we are technically the leaders and they're kind of following suit. They're the, you know, people in the East, they're the ones that are dressing with like freaking skinny jeans and like freaking Yeezys and all that stuff. Well, you know what? Like <laughs> they're starting to dress like us and you know, they're kind of changing it up, doing their own little thing. But yeah, I think it's called a spade a spade. So if we're the ones that are exporting the culture, then we also, if we were to take leadership in this type of situation, 
like carbon tax, I think it could lead to more pressure on those countries that uh, like such such as India and China to follow suit. Whether or not they will, that's another, that remains to be seen. But I believe that if there is global international ubiquitous pressure, then I think that they would eventually follow suit because uh, as we have to consider that as countries become more developed, as GDP per capita grows, people gain more money. As they gain more money, they start thinking of different ways to spend it. And that's when our desire for environmentalism, for taking care of the environment, cleaning up the river, cleaning up the air, all that good stuff really comes in. Because before that, all you're thinking about is making it. <laughs> you're just trying yeah. to survive. So you have to consider that as those countries get wealthy, yeah, their, their interest is probably will increase towards environmentalism and they're going to look towards the exporting of the culture and if we're exporting the culture that hey we need to you know adopt a carbon tax we need to and it's got to be global i think it, it there's no guarantees there's no guarantees but it, again it increases the probability that they will follow suit yeah yeah no that's a good point um yeah you 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 have you know, there's a lot of people who say it's jumping on bandwagons as they occur, but you know, there's part of that. That's a, that's also a thing. But it, it also, I think, in my experience with government, uh, the, people want to do something that is proven. There's so much risk with doing things that are uncertain, mm-hmm. and to jump in and do something for the first time and try it out. It's scary. It's scary. You're going to make mistakes. And, uh, but as people start to, to do something new and they make the mistakes and they fix those mistakes and they find solutions for it, um, that's how we innovate and that's how we, uh, we grow, uh, solutions and people are more comfortable taking them on. Um, so you have to be in a position where you can bear the risk associated with trying something new and you know that's where it comes very important to make sure the way you implement something new you got to really look at what could be the side effects you know what could be the collateral damage of something trying something new and uh so uh that's that's definitely worth considering as as we move into uh you know trying new new solutions like um uh, a carbon tax and I, I'm going to lay out a, another idea, but maybe I'm going to I'm going to hold off about getting too much into it. But I wanted to touch on right here, William Nordhaus. He, it is discussing carbon tax as a way to reduce atmospheric concentrations of CO2. That's his perspective, okay? Because there's a concern CO2 is going to go up. There could become a tipping point, and we could end. It could end. The climate, the change in climate could be catastrophic, may not, Mm -hmm. but there's a problem there. Now, there's another reason to perhaps want to pursue a carbon tax that doesn't have to really do with CO2. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, maybe first, let's uh, let's let's jump into this interview with Elon Musk, because, you know, he's a big dog in in this Mm -hmm. race. Um, There's countries that have already adopted carbon taxes and um, uh, Canada being one of them. But, you know, Elon, he lives in the States. Um, he is the richest man in the world right now. So what he's interested in, what his beliefs are, what his concerns are, are going to translate into the 
into the decisions he makes at his companies. And I don't think you can underestimate how powerful that is, uh, especially when all the endeavors that he's currently involved in. So I think it's important for us to listen to this man and and what he's saying and so uh, i what i did was you know he was on jre uh what podcast i don't know what episode it was on uh recently Mm -hmm. this year 2021 uh and uh they get into a whole range of topics uh, worth listening to um uh, but i'm just going to i've taken some key clips and broken them down so i wanted to start off with um Clip one, which I titled The Origin of Elon's Interest in Electric Cars. Okay, clip one. And actually, just before that, I do want to touch on something real quick uh, that you uh, mentioned is that uh, that we don't lose sight of the goal. Ultimately, the goal is to reduce atmospheric CO2 concentrations and carbon tax is one method to do that. There's different methodologies and we will go into some of those methodologies as well. You touched on cap and trade. There's emissions regulations and so on and so forth. But again, the, the goal is to reduce CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere. So. Let's get into this clip of Elon Musk on JRE. Electric cars since for you know for a long time since uh, basically high school, early early college. Um, what did you think of that documentary? Who killed the electric car? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, it's worth watching. Interesting. Um, Mortally wounded, not killed. <laughs> exactly. Mortally, exactly. But I, I mean, the irony is like. Man, can you imagine just how different a future GM would have had? Yeah. Because they had the, the EV1, electric vehicle 1. If they had just gone EV2, EV3, man, they would have just owned the world. Who knows where we'd be right now with electric cars, too, and the technology with that kind of money behind yeah. it. What's fascinating now, you're seeing like this Mustang, this uh, sort of SUV-style Mustang that's electric. Yeah. You know, you're seeing so many different vehicles that are electric. There's so many companies that have electric cars now. And it's really been becoming interesting. Porsche's electric yeah. car. There's there's a, yeah. a large supply of electric cars now. I mean, that's got to make you feel good, though. Because without you and without Tesla, this, I mean, there was no way it would be where it's at right now. But yeah, I mean, in the early days, my interest in electric cars was mostly driven by the fact that uh, it was was not, it wasn't environmental in the in the sense of like CO two, you know, parts per million in the atmosphere type of thing. I do think that has added urgency to the situation. But um, my original interest was was just like we're going to run out of oil, and then civilization is going to collapse, and so if we don't have some kind of sustainable energy situation, which really is electric cars, solar energy, and electric cars. Um, then civilization going to fall apart, and and we'll be back in the Stone Age or something like someone bad, you know. Um, but we're not going to be able to move forward. It won't be a good future. So, so my interest in electric cars was like, okay, how do we, how do we make this work? Okay, so uh, one to point. At a couple different things so i'm listening to them talk about um that documentary who killed the electric car and that came out in 2006 um so elon was born in 1971 so uh he's 49 right now mm-hmm. and so it would have been he would have been 35 when that came out but 
you know, Joe kind of just threw that in there, asked him out of the blue. That wasn't really what drove his interest in it. Uh, he then goes on further. Uh, well, actually, before I go on further, he makes that interesting comment, uh, just how how much different would GM's future have been mm-hmm. if they had just continued this? And he says Legit. they would have owned the world, which <laughs> is a pretty big uh, thing to say. I mean, I mean, I think he means like they would have been massively successful now, and mm-hmm. and that's what he's realizing with you know his own his own company. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, totally yeah it's almost like he's saying that he owns the world now and they would have been in his position yeah but so he says his original interest in electric cars was not environmental uh, uh, is this AO uh, not environmental in the sense of co2 and parts per million uh, he's talking about parts per million in the atmosphere uh, Although he says he thinks that's added some urgency to the situation, we'll get into his thoughts on that a little further in, in later clips. He then goes on to say his interest was driven by the idea we're going to run out of oil and civilization is going to collapse. And I found this super interesting. I think this is like a hinge actually on dissecting some of the the dr- drives of this man because we in our first podcast we looked at this concept we we looked at peak oil theory okay mm-hmm. and it, when the first paper came out by Her- herbert i think it was 1956 okay he was born in 1970 and so he was being educated and in a world where this was a real threat there it, it was falling the curve peak oil production in the u.s was starting to fall now he, i know he was born uh, i don't know how many people know this but he was born in south africa okay so he was born in south africa he lived there for like eight um 16 years i think he then moved to canada for like two years and he was 18 years old when he moved to canada and then he finally started to do and he was doing some schooling in canada and then he went two years later over to school in the u.s and so he was 20 uh he was 20 years old in 1992 okay so uh herbert had this prediction you know uh, oil production was going to go up it was going to fall off and it was still following that prediction he, you know it was it actually peaked a little higher than what herbert pr- pr- you know uh predicted but it was following the curb so for like a good 16 years of his life he was you know, told this was going to happen. It concerned him. It motivated him, uh, his interests. And then it wasn't until 2008, uh, 2008 that uh, that production skyrockets back up. And we go all over this in our first episode, um, you know, through new technologies coming online and changing, uh, changing oil production. And so I just, uh, I'll touch on this a little bit later, but I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like he, he definitely was motivated by this concept um and he was living in the states where it was a reality uh so this i think speaks to like i said what drives human innovation and the advancement of technologies and it it will play a role into kind of some of his future thinking as well i I think as well Mm -hmm. um i think that's a yeah pretty good uh, analysis like um it's interesting to point out yeah like he was probably thinking about 
the peak oil theories from Qbert, Herbert. And if you haven't checked it out, please go listen to our first podcast, Peak Oil Theory, where we go in depth on that. But I think um, it's it's interesting because he kind of talks about how like the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere is kind of like a moot point. It doesn't really interest him too much. It's more so the the peak oil production and how it's going to decrease. But as we kind of saw, if that's your motivating factor, I don't know, we, we kind of have more time than i think we had envisioned so when he was going through his schooling he would have thought this is like an existential crisis but i think what we've slowly discovered due to the advent of new technologies which has allowed us to access new uh, previously inaccessible oil reserves that this has led to an increase in oil production which will which kind of is kind of taking away this whole existential threat nature of it in terms of running out there's a bit of an existential nature a threat in terms of getting access maybe from like your foes around the world that might be more so of an issue but in terms of the actual production it seems that there's more time that's continuously being added to that timeline yeah and before we go to the next clip that's that's a good point and i i want to posit my hypothesis now perhaps mm -hmm. We have, you know, somebody come up with a theory. You know, we have a finite resource, and they're comparing it to uh, to real data. They make a prediction. Prediction has a time scale, and things seems to be following that prediction. Um, and because somebody t had that concern, verified that concern, came up with and and voiced that concern, it drove innovation. And Elon. Uh, you know, just because eventually oil shot back up and we have it now longer than we think it did, uh, what it did is it advanced other other technologies and, and and made him who he is now. Something similar could happen with this whole CO two situation, but I'm going to say it is in, and I think he's making this point later on the importance of of not. Assuming everything's going to be okay, it is in the pursuit of doing something, in in the potential of things going really bad if we continue this way, that that will ultimately help us uh, prevent that thing from happening. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like you can't be complacent. We have to always be striving for continuous innovation and improvement because it's also it also puts us into the mindset and the state of mind necessary in order to continue to innovate when those problems arise so if something does come up you're kind of already set to um rejigger your position as necessary and uh, be agile with things as they say so you you can shift resources move around because you're already thinking about it you're already in that right headspace in order to approach the problem like okay i've kind of considered this boom let's go i have plan a plan b plan c whatever okay so you want to maybe jump into that second clip you yeah let's there? talk about it. So the second clip okay. is called the fundamental good of tesla mm -hmm. the fundamental good of tesla any uh precursor or should i just play it and then we'll go yeah, into let's it? just play it the rate at which we are producing what are, what are called lithium-ion cells, but are really primarily iron and nickel cells. 
uh, is it's increasing very, very rapidly year over year. It's just that in order to uh, compensate for uh, the rest for, for an economy which is fundamentally based on fossil fuels, you need a shit ton of batteries. So a gigaton, gigashit ton <laughs> of batteries. And that is what, uh, that, that's going to happen. It's just a question of when. That's why I say like the fundamental good of Tesla is to what degree it accelerates the advent of sustainable energy. It's uh, inevitable. Like either we have sustainable energy, it's tautological. It's either we have sustainable energy or civilization collapses. And so you know, if civilization doesn't collapse, we will have sustainable energy. We are going to need a giga shit ton of batteries. <laughs> I like that. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it was a good one. Um, so, you know, and, and that's going to happen. He says, he says, you know, we're going to get there. It's just a question of when. And, and so what he says at the end, he says the fundamental good of Tesla is to what degree it accelerates the advancements of sustainable energy. Okay. He says, either we are, uh, we're going to have sustainable energy or civilization is going to collapse. Th 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 that's what he's thinking. Okay. And I found this, this, he, you'll see him reiterate this Reddit, but th this idea that what Tesla is doing in advancing uh, technology in this era is accelerating us towards sustainable energy. We know we can exist however more many years maybe it's a hundred more years um and assuming nothing else wipes us out and we're all civil with each other then we'll still be around on this planet and maybe at that point we won't have fossil fuels but w the last thing we want to do is be left um in a spot where we're pouring the last drop out and we still haven't thought about <laughs> how we're going to make this work without this stuff um so i think he's that's how he's measuring in his head um his work is that fair you mm -hmm. think yeah yeah it's kind of like his why mm, yeah it's, you know when you whenever you have like a successful company generally you want to look at the why behind the company and whether it's apple nike tesla whatever um, elon musk has his why figured out and that is the um the, the degree to which he can sustain uh, sustainable energy um within society and i honestly like i don't think that's a really controversial statement because yeah like you need energy in order to function so you better have that figured out it's just a question of how do we get to sustainability what is sustainable and um yeah like it's i don't think it's a controversial statement whatsoever though like yeah we, no we gotta I, get, I agree no uh, I don't think it's controversial. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's it's very reasonable. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's it's less political. And we can get into that than than other narratives. But um, maybe let's jump into this next mm -hmm. clip, which is called "We Will Be Fine." Dot dot dot. Occurring because of the increased parts per million of CO2 in the oceans and atmosphere, um, you know, it, it has some acidification of, it, it makes the, uh, the water just a little bit more acidic, um, and, uh, you know, and it just causes the air to be a little warmer, not a lot. Um, I think sometimes people look at the temperature, especially in Celsius, 
you might say like okay it's like 20 degrees celsius i mean can a small ppm increase in carbon really move the needle that much so, but but actually you should be looking at it in degrees kelvin so that's like actually it's like more like we're at around 300 kelvin and so uh, you know, what would it take to have like uh, only a 0.3% increase would be one degree Celsius, two degrees Fahrenheit. So therefore this is actually, you know, it's, it's more, it's, it's a smaller percentage increase than you'd think when looking at temperature in the absolute, as opposed to, you know, ab above the freezing point of water. So, and, and then if people weren't just living right on the water, then that would also help a lot. But it's just like we love living right on the water. So mm. like the humanity is like a thermometer. It's like you look at like a thermometer, you know, like a, you know, like like old school sort of analog thermometer, which is like, you know, changing the, the temperature as a function of like some liquid that is um, increasing its volume due to temperature. And it only takes a little bit of a small increase in volume. Uh, to raise the temperature, more, uh, you know, on an old school analog liquid therm thermometer, and and humanity's like that. We we we've just decided that we want to live right on the damn beach. Yep. <laughs> so because the beach is cool. Now the problem is you're right. You're like, what's? It's kind of like if we wanted to say, what's the most sensitive instrument you could like? How can we maximize our sensitivity to to water level? Well, live right on the right on the ocean. <laughs> well, okay, we just did that. Yeah. Uh, and and then it's like, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, and and by the way, like throughout history, like the water level has varied a lot. Like it's like nutty how much it's varied. Um. So, and, and then if you look at, say, the CO2 parts per million, you know, based on the fossil record, I mean, it just looks like a wall. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not like a doomsayer here. I'm like, my, my view is that if, um, provided we are not complacent about a sustainable energy economy, I think things will be fine. If we are complacent about it, that's where problems arise. So, like, to be totally frank, I think we'll be fine. But as long as we don't behave as though we're going to be fine, we will be fine. Oh. So I clipped this one because mm -hmm. I think in part I was listening so closely to his train of thought and him trying to maneuver this area of talking about co2 and its impact overall to global warming and it's a it's a i've tried to navigate that area to myself and it's a hard one to cover in you know in a podcast setting sitting down and discussing it but i do want to dive into some of what he said there um in a closer detail one of the most confusing bits is at the beginning with him talking about Kelvin and temperature and I'm going to try to break it down although as you'll see the conclusion here is is a little different than what you expect so mm -hmm. he says you know well first he starts by saying CO2 causes the air to be a little bit warmer not a lot okay it's a little bit and he goes on to say I think people look at temperature especially in Celsius and then he goes um it like trails off and he's like can be a small ppm increase and by ppm he means part per million increase and he's talking about concentration of of co2 uh, just if that wasn't clear increased um 
can, sorry, can a small PPM increase in carbon really move the needle that much? But actually, you should be looking at it in degrees Kelvin. And as soon as I heard him say that, I was like, I don't follow because if you look at the formula for Kelvin, Kelvin is equal to whatever your degrees are in Celsius plus 273.15. It, it's if you go up one degree in Celsius, you go up one degree in Kelvin. So I, then I was like, well, maybe he was, he misspoke and he was saying, um, you know, uh, it's, he's talking about Fahrenheit because Fahrenheit has, you know, that formula where it's your temperature in Fahrenheit. To, so to get from Fahrenheit to Kelvin, it's, you know, Fahrenheit temperature minus 32 times a fraction five ninth plus your 273 constant. So what this means is if you have 20 degrees Celsius, this is equal to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. And so if you go from 68 degrees Fahrenheit to 69 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's one degree increase in Fahrenheit, that's not going to take you from 20 degrees Celsius to 21 degrees Celsius. No, it's going to take you from 20 degrees Celsius to 20.555. It's it's a, because of that fraction there. You're only going up 0.5 of a degree in the Celsius scale. And that's going to be the same thing for the Kelvin. If you go from, if you're converting from Fahrenheit to Kelvin and you go up by a degree in Fahrenheit, the degrees in in Kelvin is going to just go up by that 0.55K. So then I'll continue with what he said because now we've got that out of the way. Uh, we are around 300 degrees Kelvin. Uh, sure. I, I, you know, we already talked about it. So 20 degrees is, um, what is 20 degrees? 20 degrees is... Like standard temperature and pressure. Right. So it's around 20, uh, 293 degrees Kelvin. So oh, he's, right, he's, right. he's just rounded it up. And he said, if we... Uh, what would it take to have a point, a point three percent? So that's point zero zero three increase. Okay, so that if you took point zero zero three uh, times it by your three hundred degree Kelvin, he's just talking about what happens to get it go up to one degree Kelvin. It's going to take one degree increase in Fahrenheit, and then he goes on to say it's going to be you know a point five increase or no a two degree increase in in Fahrenheit. And this is all just temperature conversions. Um, but then he, he ends the sentence by saying, therefore, it's a smaller percentage increase than you would think when you're looking at temperature in, a, uh, in the absolute as opposed to above the freezing point of water. And he just kind of trails off. And I'm like, what, what was the point you're trying to make there? Like, I'm sure Joe was lost. I was lost. Like, there was, he started doing some conversions here. But mm-hmm. I, I, I'm thinking, I know you deal with Kelvin more probably because of space. And Kelvin is used uh, because of the range of temperatures between like what's u- useful for Earth and outer space. That that makes sense to me. But uh, I'm like any, I don't know uh, anybody listening to that probably was like, okay, what are you saying there? And then he goes on. Uh, yeah. Sorry, just interject there. Like, I think what he was essentially saying is that he's saying it's not as big of a deal as we think it is. So he's saying that because the the relative change, if you were to look at from degrees Celsius to Kelvin, is going to be a smaller relative change. So even though we think it's going to change by say x percentage that x percentage is actually a lower percentage when we look at it in absolute terms so he's kind of trying to say that 
it's actually not as bad as we think it is uh, due to the fact that if you were to you know change your basis that's what it really comes down to what's your basis of your assessment mm. so if you change your basis your baseline then that's going to change that relative uh, it's kind of playing with numbers like you said so he's saying that it, it's not as big of a deal as we might think it is that's what it really comes down what's to what's not as big of a deal that the the temperature change the the, the in terms of the temperature change that hap that is going to happen as a result of changing co2 concentrations right if you were to look at that in terms of kelvin as opposed to celsius it's it's even less i guess right right um well and but my my, my pull point there is that kelvin and celsius they they change equally or proportionally uh, with every increment of degree in them they're just different numbers so it, it, yeah, but you I, have I, a so okay but the number is right so the number changes but what's your baseline your baseline is 290 right so like for you to go from 290 what's two percent two percent of 290 is different than two percent of 20 oh i see right right so if your baseline is or if your baseline is 293 versus your baseline is 20 then a two percent change or whatever the percent changes that's going to be uh different right if if you have two percent change in temperature celsius then that's not going to be the same in terms of the percentage or in terms of the absolute value like you can have two percent changes one two percent change the other but it's going to be a, a different uh, number in terms of the actual degrees changed because you're going from the two percent of two seventy three versus two percent of twenty, or whatever. I, I just find it so funny that he thinks that's what people are getting confused, and this was going to help them make more sense of it. I just, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's yeah. He's obviously uh, thinking in a different way yeah. on that one for sure. So, so essentially, he's saying like it's it's going to be a smaller relative change. So yeah. kind of calm your panties, keep your panties in a bunch, or, yeah. or whatever the term is. <laughs> <laughs> calm your horses simmer down yeah and so it, it, it kind of i don't know it kind of sounds like yeah he's just kind of more lackadaisy but then he's just kind of throwing in the but as long as we're not complacent about it just to just so that it people realize that he's not trying to be uh he's not trying to take global warming climate change lightly he's serious about it via that last statement that he's gonna that that we can't be complacent so he's kind of like his his way out yeah. he's kind of he's kind of playing with that line he's kind of saying don't worry about climate change but as long as we like still kind of move towards that direction kind of like as long as we're making progress type of thing yes yeah, yeah. um there's a lot more to say about that but i'll continue through, <laughs> yeah. this, through this clip uh and what he says so then he goes on and he says um you know, he talks about the whole thing, people living, you know, right by water and, and, and the impact that has to our sensitivity to changes in our environment. Uh, you know, it's like if you are closer to something that might change, um, it's just you're going to be affected by it more likely. And that's been a realization of mine for, you know, a while. And it, it's just that is one of those those odd, you know, just realities of of societies and people there are so many advantages being close to water but mm -hmm. there's disadvantages and it that is, is cool it's like cool it is it's cool. great for transportation it's mm -hmm. great for sanitation sanitation purposes um 
there's all these uh, for irrigation purposes. Um, yeah, it's it's functional too. It's not just cool. It, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of function. It's not like it just happened out of nowhere. Elon, sorry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for some reason, these humans just decide to live next to water. Like, why? Well, maybe it's practical. Maybe that's one of the reasons that the U.S. became what it was because of the river and the water course connections that allowed port cities close to the ocean to transport goods and materials inwards into the u.s and vice versa you mother this <laughs> this guy uh, he's got i don't know man yeah. the more i hear this dude like i like him but I'm, I'll, I'll tell you straight up yo i used to be a super big elon fan but i don't know the more i hear it's just you kind of get his like nonchalant ego uh, attitude type of thing which we all have whatever i'm not gonna hate but that's a, that's another example right the whole it's like oh you know we're, we're fine like just as long as you don't live next to the beach type of thing right again he's kind of like be he's kind of trying to tell people we're, we're gonna be okay like don't worry like it's just people are close to the beach like these silly folks we just want to do it because it's cool like no elon there's a bit more to it than just it's cool you like again like it just kind of shows his his like just being so passive careless like and obviously he's not careless because he's given this a tremendous uh, amount of thought but he's it shows maybe a lack of relatability because again i go back to my previous statement where he can just nonchalantly say oh let's pass off the carbon tax down to the consumer we don't gotta worry about it oh that's great for you to say mr tesla owner or the creative tesla who can then benefit off of the federal tax incentives for companies such as yours so yeah you don't mind paying the carbon tax because you're on the other end getting paid by the government you fuck like straight up man look it, it, that's one of the things in the in the epi like i'm gonna like straight up like and we're gonna get either. there he's gonna i think the next clip yeah have, uh, <laughs> you, you got that one because yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to go off on oh, that yeah, shit yeah. like that's, this that's guy up, that's next clip, okay that's next, next clip, baby but yeah right. no it, it, okay no. i'll save my rant for later <laughs> 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 yeah, trust no. man I, I don't want to sound like an elon hater or an Eva, elon butt kisser because there's things that he does that i like there's things that he does that i don't like people are complex it, it is what it is you know it it, it is and i agree with a lot of that and what i would say is when he he's on a podcast and he talks about he decides to you know interestingly he structures his arguments in such a way that he opens himself up for a lot of things. Like you're not really sure, you know, uh, where obviously he's a smart guy and obviously he's got it doing a lot because there's a lot of difference between the different companies he's overseeing and, and involved with. Right. So you got to imagine he, he stretched thin a little bit, but there's times like these when in these interviews where he says he puts together these arguments and it just doesn't help him or convincingly convincingly portray an argument to somebody who might be a little more skeptical of him of uh of what he might what might otherwise be an advantage if you pursue what he is he is preaching or wants and that is a problem and and you know he they talk about him being he talks about himself being an introverted kid maybe it's it, this is just a personality thing and he's just not very good at interviews but and and it's joe rogan it's very casual they're, they're drinking whiskey mm -hmm. it is what it is but mm -hmm. uh i agree like it's like certain things like he'll say something and you're like that is just it doesn't encapsulate everything and it almost comes off 
silly or i, I or think that's the beauty of a podcast though yeah. you kind of um or i don't know like you say a bunch of stuff and i guess it kind of just shows your way of thinking to a certain degree mm-hmm. and uh, these are thoughts that he he probably believes and not to say that they're wrong or anything but kind of shows maybe a bit of nonchalantness towards the problem again kind of brushing off oh we live next to beaches because they're cool yeah that's part of the issue there's more to it than that also saying yeah i don't mind spacex tesla whatever paying um you know carbon tax whatever we should pay it too well great but you know you're also on the opposite end of receiving a whole bunch of subsidies so you know you you can kind of pay some tax here get the subsidies on the other end so it's just yeah but that that's just business as it is it is what it is i'm not gonna hate he's doing his thing he's running his companies but you know what you when you when you talk like you're gonna talk we're gonna check you bro we're gonna <laughs> that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gonna call fresh you principles out. podcast gonna check you bro <laughs> <What are> you? <laughs> so maybe if you ever hear this Eli, check yourself son <laughs> you're gonna dissect your your clips here for sure so okay next let's, clip, let's jump yeah. into that carbon tax one because yeah let's let's get into this that clip four yes honestly would be just to have a carbon tax like the, the, the economy works great like prices and money are just information prices are information if the price is wrong the economy doesn't do the right thing so we got basically an unpriced externality in the carbon concentration in the oceans and atmosphere like it's a it's kind of like not paying like if you're not paying for for garbage removal or something like okay everyone's going to throw garbage in the street <laughs> it's right. like garbage removal is free um but it's like there's a little bit of like okay garbage removal isn't free you've got to pay a little bit for this um and because we're not paying for the co2 capacity of the oceans and atmosphere we have in, what in economics uh is called an unpriced externality so the market is unable to respond to an unpriced externality. If we just put a price on it, the market will react in a sensible way. But because we don't have a price on it, it's doing it's behaving badly. So theoretically, how would you put a price on that? Like, would you look look at various industries and how they contribute to the CO two? Yeah, I mean, just put it at the point of consumption and tax it. It ends up being, yeah, electricity and gasoline, pretty much. Now, you can make this a non-regressive tax. You could say, like, okay, well, you know, we, what if somebody is, like, driving around a lot and they're low income? It's like, hey, great, give them a rebate, you know? So it's like, hey, give a tax rebate. That's the way to do it. Um, and then the market will be forced to respond to the fact that the... The, the market just does things automatically based on pricing. Mm-hmm. So markets work great if the pricing is correct. It's only when something... You, you have a tragedy of the commons and the price is not there that the market does not respond nor nor would you expect it to you know so if you if you if you have like the public toilets problem where it's like nobody's responsible for it nobody's paying for it it's like okay well public toilets are not good mm. so as soon as you put a price in it the right thing will happen automatically so. Is is there been a response to this? Like, is 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 this something? That's I, mean, I, I talked to the Biden administration, incoming administration, and they they were like, "Well, this seems too politically difficult." And I was like, "Well, this is obviously a thing that should happen." And by the way, SpaceX would be paying a carbon tax too. Sure. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, 
I think we should pay it too. It's not like uh, and it's not like we shouldn't have karma generating things. It just there's got to should be a price on this stuff. And that would encourage people to make either carbon we'll neutral automatically or fix the th problem. Mm. No, pr for sure. You know, just thinking about like taxes. It's like you know here we are drinking alcohol. Um, now taxes on alcohol and tobacco are higher than on let's say fruit and vegetables okay because everyone knows like fruit and vegetables are good for you and alcohol and tobacco are not good for you vice <laughs> yeah so we're like yeah you should probably bias the taxes towards alcohol and tobacco have higher taxes on alcohol alcohol and tobacco and lower taxes on fruits and vegetables yeah it's just sensible like same thing goes for energy mm. All right, yeah, that's the end of the clip there. So, you know, he's, it starts off, it says, Elon's top recommendation is a carbon tax. Um, to summarize it in four points, he says, you know, we have an unpriced externality. We've heard, we talked about how, that terminology, that language that was probably came mostly from William Nordhaus. Um, we need to put a price on carbon. He says, uh, put the tax at the point of consumption. Uh, this is very, you know, this is, we've talked about this a bit, and I think this is similar to what we do in Canada. Not to go down that road, there's more to that. But he, he then goes on to say, you know, primarily electricity and gasoline. And then he's like, this doesn't need to be an aggressive tax. Uh, uh, you know, kind of the nonchalant one about, you know, if you're low income and you, you're driving around a lot or have to drive around a lot, you give them a tax rebate. Um, he then goes on to say, which was interesting, that the Biden administration thinks it's too politically difficult. Um, and I think he actually says later in the podcast that he's like, I think that's like, like he says, I think he said to them, he's like, I think that's why 50% of the people voted for you or something like that. And I was like, really? Uh, okay. Uh, interesting. But I didn't clip that. I think that, that, that was actually kind of telling again to maybe part of his disconnect. I think that was really a telling moment. Again, very small, but yeah, he was like, yeah, that's like more than half the reason why you guys got voted in. Uh, nah, man. More than half the reason why he got voted in wasn't for their climate strategy. Yeah. Wasn't for Biden. <laughs> like, Come are on. You, uh, like, dude. Like, but again, he's busy dude. He's got a bunch on his plate, so maybe we can give him a pass, but again like i go back to my point he's disconnected from the average individual he's not which happens when you're freaking richest dude in the planet like i get it dude but like let's just call a spade a spade let's just call a spade a spade that's yeah. all i'm saying yeah um yeah it was an interesting kind of throwaway thing and he also him just like you know it will correct itself like it is a solution um it's too bad. I mean, they cover so much, but it was this. That is like the extent of the carbon tax discussion. For it being his top recommendation, it was very like, okay. He gave some some you know examples Nonchalant. of it uh, of the whole tobacco and you know it's a sensible thing to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you need to really talk about that whole uh, non-aggressive tax part of it because that. That has got to be one of the biggest concerns for most people uh, when they hear taxes and they think, oh, someone's talking taxes. It means I'm going to have to pay more money. And, you know, when you know that that is a top concern of people, 
you need to clearly indicate how you're going to you know implement a tax that is not going to make uh life worse for people that's what that, that's what it comes down to how are you going to implement a tax which everybody goes oh not a tax don't want that that's going to mean costing more money cost me more money how are you going to assure people that that is not going to be the case and it's just kind of brushed over so quickly here but that has got to be one of the primary concerns like i said for most people hearing um somebody discuss a new type of tax especially for those people that are on the fence about uh the actual impact co2 emissions have on the atmosphere so they hear first off they have the idea that it's not a problem or it's an insignificant problem co2 and furthermore they're hearing someone's asking for a tax we're going to get more into the politics of, of why you got to be careful about uh, being clear about what you mean by things uh, yeah. because you're going to a lot of people are going to be like no 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 that's no good and to your point it's also very convenient that you are in the industry that will directly benefit if for the most part like spacex sure I, I don't even know i i was trying to figure this out how much hydrocarbons actually play a role in in jet fuel propulsion like there, there's types of fuel that don't actually rely on hydrocarbons like they're made other ways um that i i know satellites are using but uh that's something and my old thing is like okay you say that but like is it really going to be that big of a hit to you to have to pay that tax for spacex as if because there's all the other things you're doing that obviously are going to benefit from from an increase in 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 sustainable energy and it's not that's not even the issue though because that's i I want more sustainable technologies to come online but i just think you know these are the criticisms people are going to have of elon when he says stuff like this Mm -hmm. and i think you you really touched on some interesting points right there is because he's saying first and foremost that hey the co2 issue isn't that big of a deal with this whole spiel about car um uh kelvin and degrees celsius and how you know it's a smaller relative change so it you know you just kind of said how it's really not that big of it you were just downplayed the whole situation Mm. and then now you're going to make the case for carbon tax (laughs) (laughs) like it just like i don't know man it just kind of seems a bit backwards you you just did a whole bunch of you just made a bunch of statements which essentially undercut your whole argument that we need carbon tax because you just said that oh it's not that big of a deal we don't need to worry about it but i guess yeah you said as long as you know we we act on it to a certain degree and maybe this is how this is your proposition i don't think so because i think you're talking more about technological solutions i don't think that you would propose that any type of these types of solutions would come from government it's more technological innovation obviously as an entrepreneur you're looking for technological innovation to solve these problems and I think when it comes to, um, okay, his point about we will we, pay, you know, he sounds so noble, right? Yeah. Like, ah, bro, dude, this, <laughs> this really grinds my gears right here. <laughs> he sounds so noble. We'll pay it as well at SpaceX. Don't worry. We're good too. We'll pay. So let's think about who is the primary customer of SpaceX? NASA. NASA. Okay. And how does NASA get their money? Government funding. Where does government funding come from? Taxes. You just close the loop. So you so you see how Elon Musk can 
be so so such a great guy he can say no worries we'll pay the carbon tax too we'll just flip the bill to our customer which just so happens to be you <laughs> like what a i don't know man this this is the type of stuff that i hear from him this is just like it just really makes me uncomfortable man it really makes me uneasy like i like you dude but like these types of statements really make me cringe sometimes man like you gotta freaking get like you gotta i don't think that he's realizing what, what he's saying here no we'll, we'll flip the, like you sound so noble there don't you buddy anyways i'm not gonna go on that point <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's move into the next clip um because we're gonna hear more of of him and we're getting to the end of our elon discussion and we'll move into something else but um just to set this up this one i i titled uh you know if co2 ppm keep going up shit might hit the fan and uh let's hear uh why i i i, I titled that clip this Carbon tax seems like the most reasonable thing that anyone could ever ask of uh, an industry that is, without a doubt, causing some problems. I mean, there's no, yeah, one's, exactly. no, no one's saying it doesn't cause problems. People would deny the extent of the problem, yeah. but no one says that excess CO2 from, you know, from emissions is not an issue. No, I mean, like, like, like Exxon's... In t own scientists said uh, in like the I think it was like the late 70s like we think there might be a problem here with climate change due to the CO2 it's like internal their own documents their own people then they were like uh, be quiet <laughs> isn't it weird when environmental things become political though when the denial of the environmental thing is like predominantly from from some factions of the right and then you know, like the the opposite is from some factions, and then it becomes a political thing. So they dig their heels in the sand, mm -hmm. and they're like, "No, no, no, this is this is this is fine. This is the way the the Earth is. A, there's a cycle, a natural cycle, and it just becomes this yeah. like mantra that they repeat. It's true, there is a natural cycle, but that does yeah. not explain the situation. Right, the wall. Um, as you described. <laughs> it's a wall, man. Yeah, I mean, you just look at carbon parts per million. And it just looks like a wall, like it, that. It just you know it goes like blah blah blah, you know, uh, two to three hundred parts per million. Bam, four hundred <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> There's also some weird arguments that some people will make in terms of uh, the impact that it has on uh, on plant life, and that it actually is making the earth greener. Oh, I think that's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's not necessarily okay. It still causes problems. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be, like, as precise, uh, I mean, or at least, um, uh, the least amount wrong that I can be. I'm trying to be the least amount wrong. Because um, plants live off carbon dioxide, so the yeah, more... Yeah. The more CO2, well, it does improve plant growth, it's true. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, I, I don't think, based on where we are, provided we're not complacent, provided we don't take things for granted, I think we'll be fine. But if we're complacent and we take things for granted and we just proceed like everything's fine um, and we continue on the momentum of CO2 emissions, we're taking a big risk. Um, and the especially big risk is if there's a nonlinear event. Okay, so the CO2 PPM, parts per million, has been increasing you know, pretty reliably, 2 or 3 PPM per year. But... 
you could have a nonlinear event. What would constitute a nonlinear event? If we melt the Siberian tundra, uh, there's like a massive amount of trapped gas and and dead plant matter that's frozen solid. Now, if that warms up and and that decays, and that 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 could put a massive amount of CO2 into the atmosphere, potentially. Um, and then you have to like, how we like, what are the carbon sinks? And like, if you saturate the carbon sinks and you have like a sudden release of CO2 um, from something that was previously frozen solid, that's where you could have a nonlinearity and things could go haywire pretty fast. What could happen then? I mean, Earth would heat up, the water level would rise. Um, you'd have you'd have a higher probability of extreme weather events. Um, shall we hit the fan? Shit would hit the fan. Shall we hit the fan? Shit would hit the fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I put that in there because again, you just hear in in the conversation uh, when Elon says, you know, I'm I'm trying to just be at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the least wrong I can be, yeah. uh, because these are these are treacherous waters to um, to navigate because of the the way it's become political, which is what Joe's point is at the very beginning. Um, because there's this battle between the natural cycles and the uh, CO two alarmists, and um, you know Elon says there there are natural cycles, and when he keeps talking about um, you know uh, CO two ppm's hitting a wall. What he's talking about, if anybody's wondering, is um, a graph you can find on NASA's website and and, and other literature too. Basically, it's a graph showing uh, CO2 concentrations, parts per million, uh, dating back uh, eight hundred thousand years, and for the most part of it, it's it's talking about you know this is our proxy indirect measurements from from ice cores, and he's talking about the fossil records, but I'm I'm assuming he's talking about these ice core ones, and you sh- you see for thousands of years CO two concentrations going up and down. These are these are the natural cycles, or part of in in this context, these are the natural cycles I think they're talking about, and you know concentrations are going from. Uh, as low as something around 170 parts per million up to 260, uh, 300 parts per million, da-da-da-da-da. And then we start to move into this modern era from like the 1950s, where in 1950 it was, uh, you know, at 300 parts per billion. And then over the last 50, 70, what is it, 71 years now, it's now gone up from 300 to f- just under 420 um, p- parts per million. So it's it's deviated from uh, this historical trend. Now, there's lots of arguments about the validity of this historical stuff, but I think what's undeniable is in this modern era where we have good, accurate measurements, I'm talking about like the last 10, 15 years, that uh, there is an increase in PPM. Like just simply between what it's 2006 and 2001 uh, with corrections to the seasonal cycles, and assuming that's all done above board, the, those corrections, and I believe they are, then you, we're talking about parts per million uh, increases, net increases going from 38 parts per million up to somewhere over, um, just over 410. So as approaching 420 parts per million. So in, I want to focus in like that point that in this 
current time period where we have accurate, accurate instrumentation and we're actually taking direct measurements of CO2 and uh, we're seeing this increase. Um, that is all I wanted to clarify when he talks about it hitting the wall there. Um, there was a few other things I wanted to say on this topic. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's an important uh, thing to, to understand when he's referring to like the, the wall. Uh, I think it's also referred to as the hockey stick. I've uh, heard it referred to as such where it just looks like the tip of a hockey stick. If you can imagine the blade just kind of uh, shooting up at a like a 45 almost degree angle, if not actually probably yeah, even more so, not 45, like almost 90 degree angle. So, um, which refers to the, the sharp and sudden rise in CO2. And yeah, some of the some of the critics of that might also point to, you know, what's your time scale that you're looking at? If you look at, if you expand the time scale, you look at even bigger time scales, then CO2 was even higher at, at previous times. But again, it's just a question of how much is anthropogenic, which is man-made, man-generated, and how much is contributed via natural cycles. So we can kind of agree both are taking place simultaneously, but it's just a question of which one is is the predominant factor. And I think that's kind of where people start to have disagreements, which one is it? Um, well, and I would like to point out that that was a correct interpretation of my own uh, understanding as well. But, but th this modern graph that's being put around, it, it's very clear that we've deviated beyond, way beyond any maximum uh, that allegedly happened in the past. So Any maximum? Any maximum. Ever. Going back 800,000 years. Ago. No, I'm talking about like in the like millions. I'm talking in the millions of years. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's there's other graphs as well that that they, like in terms of calculating the concentrations of. So right now, Elliot is showing me a graph that goes back eight hundred thousand years. That's eight, great. Eight hundred thousand. Yeah. So there's graphs. So as we know, the planet is much older than eight hundred thousand years, and we have data that goes back or at least we have estimations that go back as to what the CO2 concentrations were in previous eras. What I'm saying is that certain people will make the argument that if you go back even further, I'm talking about millions, tens of millions of years, talk about dinosaur times, even before dinosaur times, you do see CO2 as being significantly higher than it is now. I'm just going to put that out there. But that doesn't mean, again, that it doesn't, to me, that can, like two things can be true at once. So that can be true. Okay, we can have a time period, say 60 million years ago, 100 million years ago, where CO2 concentrations we're higher, uh, much more higher, significantly higher than they are now. However, it can also be true that with our current contribution of CO2 into the atmosphere, we are nonetheless um, leading to a shift 
in terms of the current equilibrium, right? We have to think about um, chemistry and how there's an equilibrium that takes place whenever we have atmospheric gases, whenever we have uh, any type of chemical reactions, equilibrium is always at play. So even though we had high CO2 before, then there was an e equilibrium for the plant life, for how that was uh, being transferred and brought into oxygen via photosynthesis, right? There was an equilibrium at play. So what's ha what will happen is there's a shift in equilibrium and that shift in equilibrium brings about a transience. Now we can have a situation where when we're moving in that transient shift where things get a little wobbly, which could mean, um, you know, certain areas get get flooded, certain areas get more water than we, we had before. We have change in temperatures. So like we, we can have two truths is essentially what I'm saying is that yes, CO2 was higher before, but that doesn't change the fact that us contributing to CO2 now in this current day and age is still like not having an impact because it's going to change. It's going to lead to a change in the equilibrium and with change in equilibrium with change in general there's always um a shakiness there's always economic costs there's always costs associated with to change yes the mm -hmm. unstable uh, mm -hmm. unstable nature of it um makes it a risky and it will follow that an, equi an equilibrium will occur again. That's mm -hmm. just the nature of it. Exactly. But in that transition period is where a lot of turmoil could exist. Mm -hmm. um, equilibrium isn't reached right away. It takes time to reach equilibrium. So there's going to be a time period until we get to that point. Sorry, go ahead. Ellie. No, very good point. Very good point. Mm -hmm. uh, just jump in, jump in because I want to get to the end. And he does talk about, we're, we're, we're very close to the, the end of my clips here but before we get there i wanted to he does make a point that we've made on this podcast which is we gotta stop demonizing oil and gas which um let, let's just play the clip and we can talk about it okay perfect I, i'm actually not in favor of like demonizing the oil and gas industry because because like we, we can't like stop instantaneously and not have Oil and gas, right? You know, like we're all like die of starvation, basically. Right. So that's always the argument against it, right? We yeah. need fossil fuels, and this is sort of the short-sighted argument. We we we're gonna need to burn fossil fuels for a long time. The question is just what at what rate do we move to a sustainable energy future? Um, so I think we should probably move there faster than slower but it's you know um but but i i mean the current approach is is, is basically just to demonize oil and gas and i'm like okay well obviously and you know there are people who spent their whole career in oil and gas and they started out in their career when it wasn't didn't seem like that bad of a thing to do right so then like so then they're like hey man i just spent my whole career working hard to do useful things and now you're telling me i'm the devil i mean that, that's like gonna make them pretty upset you know so i say like instead of demonizing oil and gas which also they should stop lobbying against the carbon tax by the way um then just like honestly the smartest thing the oil and gas industry could do would say let's do a carbon tax and and then we'll just do a carbon tax and make us not the devil make us not the devil and they'll still make a fuckload of money so we'll be fine they'll be fine yeah. 
That yeah. seems so reasonable. I can't imagine how anybody would argue against that. That's what I thought. Yeah. I don't know. I think the Biden administration should take a strong stance on this situation. Yeah. So, you know, the, when we talk about the political nature of this and the factions on the left and the right, there seems to be more on the left an idea that just people in that run the oil and gas business are just bad evil people and maybe that's a simplification but it often feels that way and it doesn't matter if it is a simplification because people feel that way they're gonna feel attacked and and like you said like these are just people (laughs) you know they were trying to do good things and and the reality is we still need oil and gas and you know even if we develop our sustainable grid we're going to be able to put fossil fuels to more useful applications where we haven't developed the technologies quite yet to do the equivalent thing that oil and gas is doing and that in turn is going to extend the length of time we can continue to do those things and um you know so it's it's this whole very silly pointing fingers calling people the the devil uh you know it's just it, that's the creates division and and it's not good it's just gotta stop we just gotta stop yeah yeah it's 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 silly it's uh it's a very childish way to look at things and it's like you said you know somebody might spend their whole life just in the oil industry just trying to make a living uh be an oil engineer whatever they just like it could be a good way to make some money and they weren't thinking about all the the negative moralities associated with it that people are trying to throw onto them now it's all this revisionist history that's taking place like oh you should have known better well you know what so should you have when you made your twenty thousand mistakes that you did in your life but that's life yeah yeah if you're not willing to um compare people to the same level of standards you put on yourself like Mm -hmm. we run into problems i I think like there's like hearing joe rogan though just say oh that just seems so reasonable oh, i can't think of joe, any though, right <laughs> i can't think of anybody that would go against that like really like dude <laughs> it just sounded so cringy like man maybe you should do some homework before you start talking about these things like i know you do your homework when you have your alien dudes on i know you do your research when you have you have your alien guests you want to talk about some aliens you do you know a lot about that stuff but then you want to talk about carbon tax like oh i'm just whatever just nonchalant then you make some statements like oh i can't think of any rational position against what you're saying well yeah no no shit man you haven't you haven't thought about this stuff like whatsoever like elon musk can just make statements like oh yeah like just uh, oil and gas stop lobbying against carbon tax just accept it it's the smartest thing you can do like really is it is it is it uh elon musk the the dude that again as we discussed can uh make a money off the government subsidies that you are receiving from your companies and then uh, claim that you're paying those same taxes but meanwhile you're getting paid on the other end like come on man like that that shit is a bit dishonest it's it's dishonest it's dishonest as hell and then i want to actually go back to one of the previous clips because he touched on something that was really important and again it just shows to me maybe a level of dishonesty maybe he hasn't even thought of but he made the claim that markets work great when prices are correct mm-hmm. right this is what he said mm-hmm. right yeah because this automatically fixes things so when we don't have the carbon priced into a, a the price of a good then this is an incorrect price which is bad so the premise is 
we have more information, the correct information leads to correct price, which uh, the market then responds to. Correct. I totally agree with what he's saying. So the thing, though, that makes this kind of greasy is that when you have a company such as Tesla or whatever solar company, whatever it is, that's re- or um, SpaceX, whoever it is, that's receiving government subsidies for their work, then that is in fact impacting the price of that good in a way that is not realistic. Realistic. Yeah. Exactly. So you want to talk about the markets would work great when prices are correct. Well, with that government influence, with those subsidies, you've actually shifted the price of the good in a direction that is incorrect because you have a, I mean, you, you could you could debate whether it is incorrect because it's just additional price or additional information, but is it relevant information that should be thrown into the, the pricing of that good? Arguably, no. Mm. arguably no so when you have companies and you have well just taking it back in terms of economic theory you want to have an accurate reflection of the price of something so this is where he's correct but you also don't want that price to be artificially shifted that's the correct term here is being artificially shifted by government um, subsidies, by government uh, payments, by government, quote unquote, investments. But that's actually shifting away from the market. And it's actually manipulating the price of that thing towards a point where it's not correct. It's incorrect. I don't know if that if that's clear. It, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is one of those definitely seems like a bit of a blind spot because you say one thing like when we're talking about trying to reflect actual cost you know and and how that benefits uh, you know the correct um, use of something if it's in a market where it's if it's precisely uh correctly priced and then and not to mention the whole subsidy thing and how they can work in the other way uh and, and then that question becomes like is this is this even going to work out when we talk when we're talking about trying to uh, uh you know the question was is renewables and, and let's be very narrow so, and and talk just about solar is it realistic to think uh this technology is cost competitive and as reliable if it's going to come in and when you have subsidies it kind of gets weird about the cost uh, mm. comparison what is of true price. what is the true price it is yeah, yeah yeah when you have something whose price is being adjusted for by government subsidies whereas you have another thing whose price is not being adjusted for by government subsidies so it's just a question again of consistency right okay you can be he's being inconsistent again which is what it comes down to because he's really for having correct information when it comes to carbon tax but he's not for having correct information for pricing when it comes comes to the government subsidies that he's receiving because both of those things affect the price of your good but he's only against one of those things so again it just shows an inconsistency in that approach and kind of shows a bit of a hypocrisy yeah let's uh, let's finish off this interview though uh with the last clip called the most foolish experiment let's do this uh, like, I'm not saying for sure shit would hit the fan, but I'm saying, like, the probability 
increases with time. So you can't just change the, 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 the chemical makeup of the atmosphere and oceans and expect nothing's going to happen. This is just a chemical reaction, man. It's like, yeah. So is there anything it's to like why are we even run this experiment like right. so the crazy thing is like hey we need we know we need to have a sustainable energy economy long term because we're going to run out of oil so so then we got we're running this crazy experiment to see what is the effect of massively of taking billions of tons of carbon that was deep underground putting in the atmosphere and the oceans and 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 what's going to happen as a result of that and and it's a crazy, it's like literally the craziest experiment in human history because we know no matter what that we have to have a sustainable energy future. We have to, because otherwise civilization will collapse. So what the hell are we running this experiment for? Because we're accustomed to doing things a certain way. This is going to go down as the most foolish experiment in the history of human civilization. The most foolish experiment in human history. Uh, you know, I, 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 I th let's take it right back to the beginning uh, and my point about trying to dive into some of the reasons Elon got into electric cars and, and the whole Her Her Herbert um, curve and prediction and, 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 you know, I think it, I just want to finish it off. I know I said it before. It's, these types of mindsets about catastrophe that drive people to to innovate and it it's clear to me that he's this is his rational type type of thinking on this it's like he sees it as the solution is we got to transfer to a sustainable form of power generation and if we don't uh do that then uh it's the end of civilization that's that's the stakes he's looking at it at um so and I think there's positive things that can come out of, of people pursuing it that way to some degrees when it comes to innovation and, and increasing technologies. But, it, you know, this has just been a dissection of who we're dealing with here. Because, like I said at the beginning, this is the man. This is the $150 billion man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And his, his beliefs, interests, and concerns are going to shape the decisions he makes at his company. And um, I think we, we now got to the end of this and we, we see a little clearer, you know, some of the things he has, um, he, how he thinks about things. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a, yeah, a good way to tie it in to that original point of where do some of his beliefs come from? And uh, yeah, maybe it's from that, th th those thoughts of the peak oil and how we're running this race. It's going to be, we're at the end. It's just, we're right around the corner. We're about to finish off all, all the oil. All the wells are going to run dry. He's like, we got to beat it. We got to beat it. And I was like, it's the most foolish, the most dangerous experiment we've run in human history. I don't know that again that statement to me just sounds like exactly yeah I, like really like the most foolish experiment the most dangerous experiment in human history i can like it's just to me <laughs> like man there's so much worse, so many worse experiments that were done in human history like have you heard of the nazis bro like have you heard of the fucked up experiments that they did on people like i don't know i think that that is a like the stuff that they did 
and to try to say us burning oil it like is worse than like i don't know maybe he's not thinking on these terms like yeah. but it just blows my mind how can you make a statement like that that's so foolish how can you make us like that's so again i go back to this guy arrogant ignorant this guy disattached i think he just like, maybe this is just an, another example of how disattached he is from the average individual if you think that burning if you think that somebody turning on their car and freaking going to work uh, and that's one of the most dangerous experiments humanity has run granted he's saying everybody doing it for the past uh, i don't know how many years if you think that's more dangerous and dumb and foolish than the disgusting things that happened that humans are capable of during like world war ii whatever i don't yeah. know it's just it's kind of silly it's, it's silly. just it's just I that agree. that statement itself is just silly maybe shows like a disconnect whatever and that disconnect is going to lose him followers Mm-hmm. And I want to go back and quote Joe Rogan here. Um, he says, isn't it weird when environmental things become political? When the, de- the denial of environmental things is predominantly from one from some faction on the right and the opposite is from some faction on the left. It becomes a political thing, so they dig their heels in the sand. No, 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 it's fine. This is the way the earth is. There, there is a natural cycle. It becomes a mantra that they repeat. And I have this little bit of a tangent that I put together here on on this whole whole side of things because, um, you know, and, and I'm aware, you know, there are people uh, in the conversations that in this conversation that are not coming into it with open minds or pretending to come into it with open minds, but honestly are you know uh, are honestly considering the points. They're, they're not well. They're not honestly considering the points the other side is making. They, they act like they are, but they're not, okay? And, and I know those people exist. And there are also people that have uh, a belief um, one way or the other on whatever side, and they don't really know how to justify it. So they get mean. They get ugly, you know, when they're challenged on it. And this exists. This this is the political landscape and, and, and the ID, the, the ideological landscape that we, we exist as humans on. So that existed but for people who honestly are looking for the pursuit of truth and trying to understand things uh, and and you know when we talk about trying to give people some ideas of like how to think about the world and how to use first principles in in their thinking to come to an answer um because uh you know i'm gonna go into this a little bit um because as much as i'm an environmental engineer uh the the amount that we dealt with atmospheric chemistry and in particular climate change in university is small it's not a full course it's part of a course um there's other things we focus on and in my day-to-day work i'm not this is not a topic that i'm familiar with so i'm coming into this trying to piece things together from the scientific literature okay so uh let me talk a bit more about this so um you know, I think it comes down to like, what the hell do we really all want here, right? I think uh, what people want varies, but most people across the board, they just want a future. They can live their lives out with their friends and family. And that's that's it. People don't want to be squabbling about a topic. And we, we could touch on this, you know, uh, the, the issue is when you f- push against an idea, it's because you think that idea is going to affect the world negatively and it's going to affect your world negatively. That's why you push up against an idea. So some things that don't help in, 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 
in this whole realm I'm seeing, okay, is this, um, you know, it's when people or groups and their ideas get marginalized, you know, uh, treated as insignificant or peripheral. Nobody likes to have their ideas or beliefs shot down, okay? That's pretty easy. Nobody likes to have them poked holes in, um, especially if those ideas are near, uh, like near and dear to you, okay? It's it That's tough, okay? So, we, you gotta you gotta go into this carefully. I, I I often also think that people that is the reason people dig their heels into the sand. Like I said earlier, it's 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 you're feeling the fight or like you gotta you gotta you gotta put your hands up. You know you're being attacked. Uh, that's 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 problem. And then they're also in this whole realm of thing in inside of the right wing. There's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, which alter alter people's perception of, of of reality, and and nobody likes to be the victim of gaslighting. Okay, uh, you know, someone you know is out there, um, and they're given information that makes them question their own sanity or perception of reality. That sucks, man. Nobody wants to be in that mindset. Um, so, uh, and it's really tough though because here's where here's something that. I find is is tough. So you gain a perception of your reality as you grow up, okay? So, and some of these concepts as it comes to like global warming and climate change, they're not obvious. They're not intuitive, okay? Like imagine, here's an example. You're a kid, okay? And um, you, you're, you know, you haven't gone, maybe you're just going into grade school or whatever like that. You have a, in your backyard uh, a greenhouse and it's wintertime. And you're kind of like in the greenhouse and you're like, why does this, why is it warmer in the greenhouse right now in my backyard versus outside? And so through schooling, uh, through uh, curriculum, through knowledge from other people's and wisdoms, you might learn something correct. You might learn about the UV, uh, spectrum of light, how, uh, you know, uh, wave lights from the sun, short waves come through, heat transfers off some of them get captured in there and you get a, a conceptual idea it's hard but like if you didn't weren't taught that trying to explain that reality of why is it you know it's snow outside but it's warm inside on a sunny day inside this greenhouse it's hard so someone else came along to you and said no 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 it's not to do with the sun it's to do with um the the you know oh, we have a hot melt uh, core under the ground and the heat's coming up and by putting a, a nice little structure over it you're you're stopping the heat from blowing away in the wind and and the heat's coming from the ground and it, 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 this could be picked apart uh, obviously but you could believe it and you could also use a lot of scientific terms to explain it mm -hmm. and uh, like heat specific heat and insulation da 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 but you come to a very different endpoint in terms of your uh, understanding of the world uh, depending on where you gain your information and how you use the information you then have to re-verify that it is correct and works again and again for different situations. So how would you, just throwing an example, okay, let's say I believed it was coming up from underneath the ground and it was the wind blowing across. So then it, what, what could you do? Okay, you, you put it up on stilts your whole greenhouse goes up on stilts. You then in, you put a, a wall around your the the base of those stilts, and you start looking at the temperature. Okay, oh look, I'm actually not getting warm temperatures underneath my greenhouse anymore. 
but I'm getting warmer temperatures. So that's a silly experiment, but just the idea of how you can like, you have to gauge how things work. Uh, but the very nature of our understanding fundamentally from some of these things uh, varies a lot. And I think people get uh, incentivized to pursue alternative theories about them when they feel like they're being marginalized for other ideas and beliefs they have. So um, that's kind of my uh, my less than <laughs> uh, a succinct political commentary on, on 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 climate change and that actually lands me to where uh my current stance on carbon tax is this is you know as i'm learning about these different uh ideas um carbon tax effect of co2 um you know political climate here's what i i, I here's where i've currently landed okay i'm fine with a carbon tax as long as it's either revenue neutral or doesn't impact low-income people at all and only minimally impacts middle-income people and justifiably impacts high-income people. And as long as it's the, the carbon tax implementing it, you know, as long as it, it's, uh, it measurably makes a difference to the market, that is that it, 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 it is actually doing something and it's not just this weird thing that we, we, we gain revenues off of, but it's not actually, it, it's measurably making an increase to decrease carbon and I would say arguably accelerate sustainable energy technology. So it, it's it's doing both. It's, it's accelerating sustainable energy technologies and reducing carbon. And if it just so happens that reducing carbon prevents an environmental catastrophe, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know um it's, anyways that's that's my my final kind of uh, that's where i'm at when i think about um carbon tax right now okay so let me ask you a question about that then mm -hmm. when it comes to carbon tax are you pro having it in addition to emissions limits regulations interesting okay so emission limits and the reason I asked that, so just to give some context, is because when it comes to reduction, so again, what is our goal? The goal is to reduce the concentration of carbon in the atmosphere, and we have different methodologies to do that. Carbon tax is one of them. We also briefly talked about or mentioned, I should say, cap and trade, and also emissions-based limits. So these are all different methods. And one thing about carbon tax that William Nordhaus, who again is the granddaddy of carbon tax that he discusses, is that it should be done as an alternative or a substitute to emissions-based uh, limits, emissions-based regulations. Why is this important? Because you don't want to doubly uh, tax or doubly um, uh, smack, for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, can't think of the, the proper terminology, uh, the, the companies that are uh, emitting because, say, for example, if you have tailpipe emissions out of a car, you will have emissions limits that you have to meet in terms of um, NOx, in terms of carbon monoxide, in terms of uh, particulates, so on and so forth. So you as a company have to spend money 
in terms of reducing the emissions out of the tailpipe. Now you're also paying for the carbon tax uh, in addition to that. So that, uh, or, or we could use the same example for some sort of power plant, some coal fire generation power plant, uh, so on and so forth. So again, it, are we doing a carbon tax or are we doing emissions-based regulations or are we doing both? Because mm-hmm. what William Norhouse is, who's the proponent and again, who's often quoted, he says that we should pick one. We shouldn't do both simultaneously because that's unfair and it goes against the the primary um, goal of kind of being uh, tax or revenue neutral in that sense. So what are your what's your take on that, Elliot? My gut is to lean towards what William Nordhouse is proposing. And I know that's opposite to what they did in, in Canada. Um, we are dealing with a carbon tax system, well, federal one. How it works in Canada is you, if you don't have a provincial or territorial carbon tax currently set up, you have to adopt the federal version. And then the federal version has both a carbon tax and this kind of uh, emissions limit cap and trade type shenanigans going on. Well, not only that, but even other other regulations that are already in place separate from carbon tax, not even attached to it directly. Yeah. Uh, well, I I think it's, would you, would this be fair to say that those cap and trades being built into them make the tax theory, like less effective basically in its function overall and what it's trying to do. So to me, um, it's, it's a convenient way to kind of, uh, move pollution around from our biggest emitters i don't know well like cap and trade is or yeah cap and trade is yeah it's it's kind of like a, a shifty way of moving stuff around where you might not ultimately see benefit in that in a specific location because it's kind of like more a movement of money than a movement of carbon necessarily yeah and, and let sense. me and let me yeah break that down so the idea would be let's say you're allowed to emit a thousand tons of co2 uh from your plant but you only uh, emitted 800 so the the difference between 800 and a thousand that becomes this kind of potential that you can sell to somebody else or or move to another location and Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about so you create an artificial threshold and then the difference between what you actually do and that threshold becomes like um uh it's a credit, it's a cr- right? Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly, and that's that's actually one of the criticisms for uh, cap and trade is that ultimately you're not really seeing a reduction in pollution necessarily, but more so just uh, um, flipping around the money. <laughs> so it's just game. It's just a game. So again, it goes away from the primary goal, which is to reduce carbon, and goes towards the secondary goal, of just creating a market or creating uh, this money flipping machine, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in terms of other things um, for the carbon tax, yeah, I do just really want to highlight that uh, element that this sh- that, in my belief, on it too is that it's it should be done in a way that is revenue neutral. It should be done in a way that um, minimizes the tax burden on the consumer because when we have 
um, taxation of our carbon it's just another taxation that's being added to the consumer we can say companies pay all we want but eventually it's going to be passed down to the consumer as elon so eloquently put it so to that effect this needs to be essentially compensated by not having money given after the fact but rather via rebate but rather reducing the tax paid by the individual from the jump because that way we're reducing the amount of uh, uh, public bureaucracy and administration that's required, right? Mm. Because if we simply reduce the income tax, right, in order to adjust for the increased revenue in the carbon tax, then we're not necessarily adding these extra layers of administrative uh, bureaus and all this stuff that have to track all this information. Which costs money. Which costs a hell of a lot of money. It's a heck of it. It's not an easy thing to do uh, to, to put these systems together. So it makes more sense to um, ha- have a system that's a bit more streamlined in that sense. And um, again, uh, are we going to do emissions regulations or are we going to do carbon tax? My, my belief is that we have been successful with emissions-based regulations. It's actually not a belief, it's a fact, because when you look at cars, uh, current day in 2020, uh, combustion-based vehicles, they're much cleaner than the combustion-based vehicles that were being produced 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And you can be illustrate this by the fact that you just have to go to somewhere like Nepal, India, or wherever, that's a third world country where they're still running really crappy combustion vehicles and you can smell the difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been there. You People were wearing masks over there way before Corona hit and that was <laughs> due to the, the air quality because they're breathing in all, all these shitty uh, engines exhausts well that's not that big of a deal here in north america and canada u.s and that's by virtue of these emissions based limits for the the tailpipe limits right so we have to kind of acknowledge that these have also been working these have done some these have brought some benefit and companies have spent a tremendous amount of money technology research in order to get their products to a certain quality to a certain standard so by introducing the carbon tax again we it is uh, uh, we can think that it's a good thing but we're kind of again taking away from the revenue neutrality of it of the endeavor mm-hmm. and essentially charging those companies making business that much more difficult you might say okay who cares they're making so much money anyways it's just not that simple companies have margins they have to meet they have certain um baselines they have certain standards they have to meet and all these little things is going to like cause them to make certain decisions like oh just tax the 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 small percentage what are they going to notice well that's going to you know cut to the bottom line that's going to make their fundamental decisions for where they do production where they do manufacturing and how much they pay people it's like all these things are, are are priced in these are factored in so yeah go ahead no i just i'm curious so all said and done where where have you landed like what on, on carbon tax like what what is your ideal scenario my ideal now? scenario is let's let's get the carbon tax but then we really need to figure out what's up with these emissions based regulations because it simply doesn't make sense to to have both of them together 
to me they um they're almost they're not mutually exclusive but to me it's almost like they they should be theoretically if you want things to work correctly Mm -hmm. because if not then it's a system that's geared towards gaining money from industry a system that's geared towards getting money from industry stunts industry then you're actually stunting the progress and growth you're going to need to actually solve these issues so long term is a bad idea short term it might seem like a good idea but long term it's a bad idea because you're stunting innovation you're stunting growth and eventually it's going to be that innovation and growth that gets you out of this issue um so short term good long term bad so ultimately carbon tax yes emissions regulations no we need to rework that and um but that's not how things are being done unfortunately got it yeah well i think we've been going quite a bit here um yeah this is a pretty hefty podcast yeah Um, let's uh, maybe wrap it up then i think uh okay yeah um so this was the episode on the carbon tax hope you guys enjoyed that if you did please uh, go follow us on spotify apple uh, podcast wherever you get your podcast give us a thumbs up give us uh, a review a comment we really appreciate it and check out our website firstprinciplespodcast.com for more information more podcasts you can contact us on subjects suggestions and uh, yeah we'll catch you guys next time peace peace out break down from ground up baby from the ground up baby peace